Differing Things is a podcast which focuses on how far religion and society have deviated from the Bible. Differing Things will cover many topics, both spiritual and current, to draw our listeners closer to their creator. Now for today's host, Bill Petrie. John chapter 3 tonight, and I want to look here, I'm going to read down, um, say, the first 12 verses, and I want to look at this passage. This is one I think pretty much everybody is very familiar with, I would think. I am reading it out of the King James Um There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The saint came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe? If I tell you of heavenly things. Now, John chapter 3 is probably one of those passages I think almost everybody in Christianity knows. And it oftentimes is alluded to, um, especially this idea of of being born again, which is what I really want to look at tonight. Mm-hmm. This idea of being born again. Now, I want to say something interesting here from the outset. And I think verse 12 is a very fascinating verse here. Where Jesus says, if I have told you earthly or terrestrial things, and you believe not, How shall ye believe if I tell you of, King James renders it heavenly, 
in court would be celestial. Um, the Greek word is eporanios. And it, it's that idea. So this idea of being born again then is a terrestrial idea. Mm -hmm. I want you to keep that in, in mind. Now, Nicodemus was startled when Jesus said that he had to be born again. And it creates a rebuke in verse 8. In verse 8, Jesus gives a very subtle rebuke here, which further explains the process of this new birth that he's talking about. Verse 9 responds to the, to the deafness or the dullness of Nicodemus in receiving this. And Jesus said, Nicodemus said, well, how can these things be so? And then verse 10, Jesus really rebukes him. Verses 10 and 11. And notice in verse 10, the rebuke is, art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things. In other words, there's things that he should have known. It's not something new. Jesus isn't giving new revelation here. This is something that Nicodemus should have known. It's something that was pertinent to him as being a teacher of the Jews. So I want to say that I believe the basic issue of this new birth is, is, is not a religion or a religious issue. It's an issue of regeneration. Okay. The regeneration. Now, we see this in verses 5 and 6 here, this idea of regeneration, rebirth. Now, the doctrine is associated, this doctrine of regeneration is associated with both Israel and the body of Christ. I'm not saying John 3 pertains to both. Regeneration pertains to both. In Matthew 19, if somebody would like to get that. Yeah. In verse 28. I got that. Okay, you want to read that? Yeah. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we see there's a future idea. And this future idea is a time frame. When Jesus Christ sits on the throne, ruling over the nation of Israel, and you're going to have the 12 apostles 
sitting on 12 thrones acting almost like rulers themselves. But that's the kingdom program and its future, and it deals with Israel and her hope. We see in regards to the body of Christ, this idea of regeneration in Titus chapter 3. Somebody would like to take Titus 3 and verses 4 and 5. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Roger, hand permissible? You can, you can read it, yep. Go for yeah. it. Okay. But when the graciousness and affection for man of our Savior God shone forth, not by works which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us, through means of the bathing of a new birth and the molding anew of Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting here we have this idea of, again, a rebirth, right? Yeah. But I don't believe Titus is talking about what John is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elaborate on this in a minute. But it, it's the idea of regeneration. And that's why I say this is a doctrine that that is true, but the way it works is different. Both the body of Christ and Israel will experience this idea of a rebirth, if you will, or regeneration. I want to talk about Israel first and then we'll we'll conclude with the body of Christ in verse 7 of John chapter 3 and I, I only read this today out of the King James because I have a lot of notes in my Bible on it and it's easy for me to to, to just pick up some of those notes but it says marvel not that I said unto thee ye must be born again. Now, the English language, unfortunately, has lost the usage of the these and the thous and the yees and, and so on. But they're important words. Thee and thou are second person singular words. Ye and you are second-person plural words. Now let's read it with that understanding. Marvel not that I said unto thee. So Jesus says, marvel not that I am speaking unto you, Nicodemus, <clears throat> and only you. Ye. Okay, now he's not speaking of Nicodemus. He's speaking, this is a plural word. The nation. He's speaking to, I believe, the nation, like Rick just said. Ye must be born again. 
he speaks to thee, Nicodemus, ye, the nation. Now, as he's doing this, we have to understand that as a nation, Israel was born the first time when they were led out of Egypt. They experienced a birth as a nation. We can see this, for instance, in and in Deuteronomy 32, verse number 18. Of the rock, a reference to God, that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Speaking of Israel. Um, and it's interesting. He's talking about the rock of salvation if you go up to verse 15. And the idea of when they were being taken out of Egypt, God formed them. God is is referenced here as, as having formed the, the nation, singular. Mm -hmm. So here, though, we see that God gave, God formed, God gave birth to that nation. Back in Exodus, you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus chapter 4, we read another interesting passage, Exodus 4, and I want to look here at verse number uh, 22, Exodus 4 and verse 22, and it says there, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son. Mm -hmm. Even my firstborn. Mm -hmm. So, again, we have this idea of a birth that Israel had. They're the firstborn that God reckons as a son. So, the nation itself experienced a birth when they were taken out of Egypt. It came alive. It, it, it became God's chosen nation. So the exodus from Egypt marks the birth of the nation of Israel. Now, Paul also alludes to this birth of Israel in, in his writings in the book, Corinthian epistle in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. In verses 1 and 2, you don't have to turn there. But he, he, he makes reference to the birth of the nation, mm -hmm. the nation of Israel. God gave birth to a nation which was to be a holy nation. It was to be a kingdom of priests. It was, it was to be a mediator between God and the nations. That's why, that's why God set her up. God gave birth to this nation so that all the other nations could go through her 
to get to God. Now, the problem is, Israel did a very poor job of doing what God wanted her to do. Yep. They were in constant rebellion. Mm -hmm. they, they fell into idolatry. They, they disregarded him. And they despised the nations that they were to be a mediator for. <laughs> they couldn't do what God set them out established them to do. So God punished the nation. He chastised them. And he did it with a series of judgments that culminated in the 10 northern tribes going into Assyrian captivity. And then eventually the two southern tribes would go into Babylonian captivity. From that point forward, as far as the scriptures are concerned, the nation ceased to exist. It ceased to exist because they didn't self-govern themselves. They were a puppet nation in that sense. They were a vassal nation. They, they were under somebody else's authority. And over and over again, the scriptures talk about Israel and the time coming when God would restore the kingdom back to her. In fact, that's how the book of Acts begins, isn't it? When they ask the 12, the, the 11 apostles ask the question, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So the idea here is that they had a kingdom it was a powerful kingdom under David and Solomon, fell into a civil war, was a divided kingdom under Rehoboam, and then Jeroboam, and then it fell into captivity and no longer governed itself. The idea here, then, is that this nation is looking for a time when it would be restored. Now go with me to Jeremiah 31 for a second. The book of Jeremiah, chapter number 31. Again, this is a another passage most of us are probably familiar with. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 mm -hmm. it says here, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord or Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them 
out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Now notice here, verse 32, Jeremiah is drawing a contrast. He had made a covenant with the nation, and that covenant was made with them when he brought them out of Egypt, when he gave birth to that nation. He said they broke that covenant. And, and because of that, there's now a need for a different one. And in verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now, I like this too. After those days, what days would it be in the context? Jacob's trouble. Okay. Well, actually, wouldn't it be all of the days since they broke his covenant? That's the way I would view it too. All the days since they broke his covenant. And right? to go back to Rick, which would climax mm -hmm. in Jacob's trouble. Yes. It would. It, that, that's kind of like the the pinnacle of of uh the judgments, if you want to look at it that way. Oh yeah. Wow. So after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, is that the condition of Israel right now? No. So it's still a future day, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> I want you to also notice who that covenant is given to. It's given to the house of Israel in the house of Judah. Mm -hmm. It is not given to the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. You say Judah? Yes. Where? Verse 31. Yes, I got it. Thank you. Yep. You're welcome. So, so, again, this is talking about a time frame. When God is going to do something for that nation, he's going to replace the covenant that dictated how we dealt with them with a different one. In other words, what you're seeing here is a change from the Mosaic covenant to a covenant that replaces the Mosaic. The body of Christ is not in view. It's not given to her. Now, the other thing that's interesting in this context is 
it ties in with a lot of what Jesus has been speaking to Nicodemus in light of what he's also said later on throughout the Gospels, but in particular what we read in Matthew. What did we read there? We've read that there would be a time that would come where Jesus would sit on the throne. Matthew 19. And the 12, yeah, Matthew 19, 28. And the 12 apostles would be sitting on 12 thrones underneath him. Now, again, that hasn't happened, has it? No. No. <laughs> okay. He's talking about a future time frame. Now, if he's sitting on the throne as a king, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're a king, you're sitting on a th- and, and you're sitting yeah. on a throne, a king rules over a kingdom, right? Yes. And that's the idea that Jesus is getting at. The idea is for them to be born again as a kingdom. They have to have a rebirth, a regeneration as a nation. And it's national in scope. So when somebody quotes John chapter 3 and tries to apply it to themselves, what they've done is they've identified themselves as a Jew. And they're identifying with the idea of a national rebirth. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to submit here, too, what you see over in the Middle East that was established in 1948 is not what God is talking about. Yeah, that's no new covenant. No, the new covenant's not in effect. Jesus isn't on a throne ruling as a king. Okay, so so there's a lot of problems with trying to say that's the fulfillment of prophecy there. It's also not all of the 12 tribes. It's not, and they can't even identify themselves there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to go to another passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah 66, verse 8. If somebody would like to read that. Heard such a thing. Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Mm. Now, it's interesting, again, uh, you could read verse 9, too. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? See, this is all talking about the nation being birthed again. In Isaiah 66, the nation has had that rebirth. It's looking at a future time frame. This is why Jesus was fully correct in rebuking Nicodemus. He should have understood this. It 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 was it's their hope is a nation. And he doesn't grasp it. 
so Jesus, Jesus rebukes him. So that takes us back to John chapter 3. If you want to turn there. When they have their rebirth, it will usher in a a spiritual, um, how do I want to phrase it? It'll usher in a, a spiritual regeneration because they're all going to have God's laws written in their inward parts and he's going to cause them to keep it, right? And it's also going to have a resultant physical restoration for the national entity called Israel. And it was this prophesied rebirth that Isaiah and Jeremiah and later on Ezekiel would talk about that the Lord is pointing Nicodemus to in John 3. And, and this also, by the way, was what Jesus was offering to Israel. How many times do you read in Matthew, repent for what? The kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's imminent if you if you accept it, if you take it. Unfortunately, they didn't. But the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was imminent. Now, with this understanding, I want to read John 3 in verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him. Who's the him? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Art thou, who's the thou? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, yeah. Yeah. a master of Israel. And knowest not these things. Okay. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Who's the thee? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, yep. We speak that we do know. And testify that we have seen. And ye. Who's the ye? All of them. Yeah. It's the nation. They, right. Right. Ye receive not our witness. In other words, Jesus is saying, and in, in really giving it to Nicodemus now, we speak what we do know. There's nothing secret here. There's nothing mystical about it. The Old Testament is full of what I'm communicating to you. And then he says, we testify, we speak what we know, 
and testify to what we have seen. What has he seen? He's, he's displaying all the credentials of the Messiah. John. Who is he referring to when he says we? Himself and the 12 apostles that are ministering with him. How about John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist would also be another one. Right. But it's his disciples, if you want to look at it in that sense. Even though hey, can we back up for a minute? Okay, go I'm ahead. I'm sorry? Even, nobody's there, even though no one else is there except for. Right. Right. Okay. The other thing you could bell? also take that to be is it's a reference to the prophets. Yeah. Hey, Bill. Well. Yes, Rick. Can we back up for a second and get right back to the beginning of the chapter. Why in the world is this conversation taking place? What is the agenda that Nicodemus brings to Jesus? He caught up to him with some idea in his mind. And based on the answers he's getting, like you said, he must have been very much surprised due to the rebuke, as though he were going to tell Jesus something, maybe give him some fatherly advice to stop the nonsense or something like that, which, of course, blows up in his face, it seems. Or is there something else to this context? Well, I think it's interesting because Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night. Yes. Right? And he's respectful. I yeah. mean, look at verse 2, for instance. What we have identified first and foremost, though, in verse 1, is that Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Verse 2 he comes to Jesus in the night, and Nicodemus states, We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, it's interesting. How the kingdom of God works? Well, how the kingdom of God works, but something even deeper. The credentials identify him as being who he says he is. Yeah. God with us. <laughs> right? His credentials, the miracles that he's performing, are the credentials he is the Messiah. Yeah. He's that prophet that Moses spoke of. Like That's correct. Himself. He's the prophet that Moses spoke of. Now, think of it this way. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And a ruler of the Jews, and who's at the biggest animosity against Jesus? The Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees and well, the Sadducees also, but mm -hmm. but the rulers of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Mm -hmm. it, he's rebuking the entire Sanhedrin, of which Nicodemus is now the focal point. Right? Yep. Now in that context, he's, he's challenging Nicodemus's preconceived ideas. And it, it had to be very disconcerting. You come with, <laughs> with one thing, and all of a sudden this conversation goes somewhere you weren't anticipating. Mm -hmm. And then you have, I, I, it had to be, 
almost overwhelming in a way for Nicodemus. Very much. Right? Oh, yeah. But it was it was all of this that the nation has been longing for. They've been longing to have a kingdom reestablished. They've been longing for their Messiah. They've been longing for the day to overthrow Gentile oppression. They've been longing for the day when the promises that Jeremiah had given would, would come in. And Jesus is saying these days are imminent if you would trust what you're seeing me do. Now, Nicodemus, it's interesting. Nicodemus is an interesting case point, too. When you read him in the Gospels, right, you see growth in Nicodemus. To He comes at night here, and he openly comes after the crucifixion to, to to identify himself with Jesus. And I think I think you see a, a journey Nicodemus is on. Mm-hmm. It begins here with him. Now this idea that their captivity would be released and that again they could have a kingdom established really kind of goes along with the idea of of um Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel um Ezekiel 36 for instance and this is what Jesus had in mind when he says the words he says in verse 5 what's he saying in verse 5 Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the idea of water and spirit. Uh, I want to touch on this briefly. This could be a whole other study in of itself. Keep your hand in John 3 and go with me to Acts chapter 2. Actually, Acts chapter 1 first. Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, look at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now go to chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye 
there's a plural word again, shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Now, follow what's being said here. In chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus tells them to tarry in Jerusalem. They would be baptized with water. Right? John baptized with water, and they were to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. This is all in relationship to the kingdom being restored. Mm -hmm. In chapter 2, Peter has his great Pentecostal sermon. People are convicted. They're water baptized. And what is it that we read in verse 38? They're water baptized for, it's a big word, the remission of sins. It's the remission of sins without the water baptism. No, it's and and that's why I when I was a Baptist I always struggled with this passage. By the way, Mm -hmm. I didn't like this passage too much. Um, Phil, yes, Phil. Mm -hmm. The Church of Christ preacher told me he says a Church of Christ preacher could take care of any Baptist preacher with an axe and two thirty eights, and it's true. As much as I hate to say that, because I I came from the Baptist side, but this passage was very problematic for me. Mm -hmm. So is Mark 16, too, but that's that's a different one. Yeah. (laughs) But but anyways, it was repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Mm -hmm. And Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were to re- they would receive the Holy Spirit some point after water baptism. And here's the whole kicker: it wasn't instantaneous in their program, because again, if you go to Acts nineteen. We can turn there for a second. I want to read this out of a different version that'll make it clearer and what's taking place there. But Acts 19, and I want to start here, verse 1. Well, Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper provinces, arrived at Ephesus, where finding some disciples, he inquired of them. Verse 2, he said to them, believing, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said to him, no, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 3, into what then were you baptized? He asked, and to John's baptism, they replied. Now, this gets confusing. Verse 4, John, Paul said, 
administered a baptism of repentance, bidding the people believe on one who was to come after him, namely on the Messiah, Jesus. On hearing this from John, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul, after understanding what baptism they had received, laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in languages and to prophesy. Now, what, what Paul was doing there, in a sense, was following their commission for them. He was, he was allowing them to receive this spirit that he had been promised had they been water baptized. It doesn't work that way with the body of Christ. There's only one baptism today. Right? Right. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, not two. Right. We don't get salvation. We don't have our sins forgiven through a water ceremony. Do we? No. 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 So it's radically different. Now, why was all of this important for the kingdom to be restored to Israel? Because Israel had to have a restoration of their covenant. That's right. And who was to be the go-between between God and the nations? The Messiah. The Messiah. And the nation would be his vehicle that they would go through to get to him, right? Yes. Wasn't Israel a kingdom of what? Priests. Aren't they going to be again, according to Peter? Yes. And what is it that is required of the priesthood? Washed Water baptism in a, with oil. In the anointing. Yes. It's why Jesus, for instance, when he's water baptized, what does he say? Suffered to be suffering must fulfill all righteousness, right? Right. He can't be a priest without it. Mm -hmm. And then the spirit descends and anoints him. This is all you're seeing taking place here. Because there to be a kingdom of priests. Part of that restoration of the kingdom is to have them assume the position that God intended them to have. I think it's a fascinating thing. The believing remnant of Israel would form the nucleus of this kingdom and then rebirth could occur. Unfortunately, we know that doesn't happen. The nation rejects. They crucify their Messiah. They're pronounced guilty and low. Oh, my. Not my people. And God changes his dealings from a nation 
to a different entity called the body of Christ. Today, we don't have water baptism. We receive a spirit baptism that places us into a position in Christ, makes us members of him, and we're joined together with him, and we're sealed by his spirit until the day of our redemption. I think this is good news for us. Yes. <laughs> it's very good news. Because if there was a way for us to screw it up, we would. <laughs> this is what our regeneration is about. It's not the forming of a nation. It's not the forming and rebirth of a national standing. Our regeneration is the formation of a body. A formation of an entity that had never before existed and was now coming into existence. An entity where Jew and Gentile are placed together into a body not a nation, a body, and sealed with the Holy Spirit, functioning with a different apostle. You had 12 tribes for Israel, 12 apostles, one per tribe. You have one body, and we have one apostle. Think of it like that. They're not the same, and they're radically different. And they function differently. One is, one is terrestrial. One is celestial. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he clearly says, if I have told you terrestrial things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of celestial things? In other words, Jesus was communicating terrestrial information to Nicodemus. He wasn't talking about anything in the celestials. Right there is a distinction. To be born again is terrestrial. And when you're dealing with the terrestrial, you're dealing with Israel. And you're dealing with all the other things that come with that, meaning Israel's covenants. When you're dealing with the celestial, you're dealing with promise. God made promises. And, and you're not dealing with physical. You're dealing with 
the spiritual. And, and this is the distinction. Is regeneration taught for Israel? Yes. Is regeneration taught for the body of Christ? Yes. But the outworking of it is radically different. And, and I think it's important for us to grasp that. So next time when somebody says, are you born again? Mm-hmm. Your answer is no, but I have had a rebirth. Wow. I think it's important to see these distinctions because it creates a lot of confusion in Christendom when people constantly try to mix programs and make certain aspects of it apply that don't. And, you know, even even with, like, say, something as simple as um, the Ten Commandments. I'll I'll use that as an example. Under the Mosaic law, it's mandated, right? Yes. And if you break the commandments, isn't it mandated that certain punishments would befall you? Yes. Today, we have nine of those commandments reiterated. Mm -hmm. Yes. One is no longer applicable in this dispensation. Mm -hmm. That would be the Sabbath. That's not applicable to us. Mm-hmm. The entire dispensation of the grace of God is a rest from our our work in that sense. Mm-hmm. Good. We're not under law, mm-hmm. but we are under the commandments as Paul delivers commandments to us, right? Amen. I mean, Paul not giving you a license to go and do what you want to do. No. But what's Paul's penalty if you decide I'm not going to obey a commandment? Loss of reward. Well, loss of reward, but what's your immediate thing? Israel would have an immediate punishment. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you sow to the flesh of the flesh, you want. Reap God. It's different. One, somebody's bringing the punishment to bear on you. The other... You bring it on yourself. Yeah. Okay. And there's differences, though. Mm-hmm. In one, it's legislated. It's mandated. It's almost like this. I have, I've had a number of children. And I dealt with them under law. But then is what happens typically, children grow up, right? <laughs> I can't deal with them under the law of dad anymore. They're in a different household. Are the things I taught them still true? Yeah. Some of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's let's deal with the moral character stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Don't don't steal from somebody. Don't lie. You know, those are always going to be true. Yeah. Right. But the point is, they're not under my rules anymore. They're in their they, They're mature. They're adults. They can make those decisions themselves. 
And if they decide to disobey, then what happens? They reap the consequences of their own actions, right? If I spend money I don't have and I continually spend money I don't have and I become $34 trillion in debt, mm. the bottom line is all of a sudden there's a, a large interest rate that I'm having to pay. <laughs> Can't you but, just but that's the money? truth. I reap the, I, I reap those consequences. That's the difference between law and grace. Under law, if I disobeyed, I had immediate chastisement. And it was given, it was placed upon me by somebody else. Under grace, you may go a long time before there's any consequences. But when you do get the consequences, nobody's doing it to you. You're reaping the consequences of your action. And therein lies the difference between law and grace. And it's a big difference. And it's a simplistic outworking of it. But, you know, again, Mosaic law, terrestrial. Grace, celestial. It's not to say Israel didn't have grace built into their economy. They did. God found ways to provide grace through law, through the offering system, which John has been so ably going through for us. But, you know, I think I think this is all that's going on in John 3, and there's a lot there. <laughs> We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.